Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Good morning, Genesis. Today's reading is from Matthew 13, 1 through 9, and 18 through 23. It's a parable. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on a path. The birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while, and when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one that hears the word, but cares of the world and the lure of wealth chokes the word, and he yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We stood at a distance, watching. We looked on silently as Jesus took his place on the top of a mound waiting patiently for those who had gathered to settle themselves. We looked with a certain displeasure and discomfort at the disorderly mob that gathered around him. There must have been hundreds of people pushing in to hear his words, most of them poor and hungry. The place was brimming over with the sick and the dispossessed, the widow and the orphan, the ones without a voice and without hope. We watched as Jesus looked at them with compassion and prayed peace into their lives. As he stood before them, we heard him pronounce blessings upon those who are poor in spirit, for those who are mourning, for those who are meek, for those who are merciful despite their hardships, 
for those who are pure in spirit and upon those who seek peace rather than war. But Jesus also challenged them, saying, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. He said to them, If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. If someone forces you to carry their pack one mile, then carry it too. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Then he finished by saying, Do to others as you would have them do to you. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. When he had finished, he turned toward the west where we were sitting. We who have the power, who have the authority, and who have a voice. For a time, he just stared at us. Then he approached and addressed us directly. Do not be mistaken. These words are not for you. Then Jesus raised his voice and said, I am sending you an infinitely more difficult message. A time is coming when those who you now treat as enemies and slaves will show you nothing but love in return. When those who you curse with indifference will offer you blessing. When you slap these people on the right cheek, be prepared, for they will turn their left cheek towards you. When you steal their cloak, they will offer you their tunic. And when you demand that they carry your possessions for one mile, they will freely carry those possessions for two. They will give freely what you demand from them, and they will not seek to gain back what you have stolen from them. They will treat you as they would long to be treated. You will judge them, but they will not judge you. You will condemn them, but they will not condemn you. Before leaving us, he finished by saying, These people are my message to you. Heed this message and you will live. Ignore it and you will perish. parable written by a theologian slash philosopher named Peter Rollins and it comes from his book of parables um, called The Orthodox Heretic. Very good, you should google it. Um, but before we dive in this morning I want to start off with an all play and let's just talk about what was that experience like for us as we listened to this parable we might not have heard before. I know when I heard it I had one of those what? moments. Like, I did not see that twist coming. So then, 
I listened to it again and again and again and again and again. And eventually the whatness of it kind of started to fade away. Like I knew the twist that was coming and I knew the words that Peter was going to say. And so even though I heard the words come out of his beautiful Irish mouth, I did not take to heart anymore what he was saying. It kind of eventually just became like background noise to me. Our text this morning is a parable, this one by a man named Jesus. And I'm sure that if we were sitting in the Elam sanctuary and I asked you all to raise your hands if you have ever heard this parable before, I'm sure that many, most, if not all of us would raise our hands, right? Because this is the classic parable that we have heard so many times. And I think because we've heard it so many times, at least for me, it's lost that whatness, right? Like even in preparation for this week, I was like, oh great, here we go, this parable again. It's kind of like, you know, the first time you watch a really good Christopher Nolan movie or like back when In Night Shyamalan actually made good movies and that twist happens in the middle of the movie and everything you've watched up until this point takes on a whole new meaning and you're like, what? But the bummer thing is, is that you can't go back and watch that for the first time ever again. Like once you know the twist, it kind of loses that whatness. And that's what it's like with these parables of the Bible, right? We've heard them so many times that the whatness has just kind of faded away. You know, parables, parables are smart, right? They're laid out in this three beat kind of formula. It starts off with a position that the listener usually takes for granted. It starts with the status quo. And then it introduces a contrasting idea um, that the listener would often find offensive or wrong or disturbing. And then the parable has the, the audacity to then propose the opposite of the original position and say like, no, this is actually the good and moral thing to do. And I think because we are so familiar with these parables of the Bible, we've become desensitized to the radical disruption these stories had on the crowds that Jesus was preaching to. So as we look at the parable of the sower and the seeds this morning, I invite you to hold on to that what experience you might have had as we listen to the Peter Rollins parable and hold it alongside our story and our conversation this morning and really imagine what must it have been like for the crowd of people to hear this for the first time? Easy enough? Great. So here we are, we're in Matthew 13. This is the start of Jesus's third major narrative block in Matthew's gospel. So we're at a turning point in our narrative. You know, up until this point, he's given his Sermon on the Mount, he's called his disciples, He's performed a crazy number of miracles and a crazy number of healings. And everyone, everyone from the Ancha Aretz, the people of the land, the lower class, up to the religious elite, the religious leaders, even the Roman soldiers, they have all 
seen and heard these crazy things that Jesus has been doing. And yet there seems to be a mixed reaction to Jesus's presence and ministry in the world, right? So, so far in Matthew, there's been stories of like when Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath and then the Pharisees respond by conspiring to kill him. Or Jesus heals a paralyzed man and a crowd of people respond by glorifying God. Jesus eats with sinners and tax collectors and the Pharisees respond by griping and complaining. Or Jesus heals a woman with a fever and the crowd responds by bringing all of their sick people to be healed by Jesus as well. And at the risk of creating this binary that that all the Amha'arets, the people of the land, widely received Jesus and all the religious leaders rejected Jesus. Matthew also throws in stories about when Jesus casts out a league of demons from a man and into a herd of pigs, and then the people of the town are terrified and they kick Jesus out. Or the story of a religious leader in the synagogue and he hears about these miracles that Jesus has been doing and he runs to Jesus begs on his knees for Jesus to bring his daughter back to life and Jesus does there is a lot leading up to the story in Matthew there's tension there's rage there's excitement and there's a lot of division people are either rejecting Jesus or receiving Jesus. And so there are seven parables in Matthew 13, and all of which address this very divisive nature of the kingdom of God. So I'll play time. What do you think of when you hear the words, the kingdom or the empire of God? Oh, I can't wait to see and hear what you guys came up with because, spoiler alert, the empire of God is scandalous and offensive. And I like to use the word empire because I think it really touches on the ugliness um, of our own empires, like Rome and like America. And the Greek word basileia, which is translated as kingdom or as empire, is a very political term in of itself. And it's used purposefully by Jesus and by the New Testament authors to um, undermine the powers and the authorities of Rome and to assert the powers and authority of God. So it's just like when Christians would say, like, Jesus is kurios, Jesus is Lord. Because in the Roman Empire, they would say, Caesar is kurios, Caesar is Lord. You see, the kingdom or the empire of God resists these empires of the world rather than endorsing them. It's, it disrupts, it disturbs, it reverses these empirical structures and practices, priorities. Again, it is divisive. So Jesus came to the earth to proclaim the inauguration of this heavenly empire on earth. 
and to empower people like us to help usher in this rule and find hope in the promise that this reign of shalom will one day cover all of creation in full. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is the scandalous, divisive message that Jesus was preaching. Now, up until this point in Jesus's ministry, um, Jesus has been teaching on the nearness and the reality of the kingdom, the empire of God in a largely transmissional way. Maybe that's a word, <laughs> but transmissional in the way that Jesus is giving words to people and people are receiving them. Jesus is imparting knowledge and truth and people are receiving it. And you know, it doesn't really seem to be working though, right? Because <laughs> people are getting mad and confused and they're really misunderstanding what Jesus means when he talks about the values and the reality of the kingdom or the empire of God. So Jesus changes it up a bit and he decides uh, to use a different approach and uses the didactic teaching style that many rabbis in Jesus' day used. That's right, the parable. So parable, coming from the Greek word parabole, means to throw alongside. And in these seven parables in Matthew 13, um, Jesus uh, compares the kingdom of God by throwing, along, throwing it alongside something that was familiar, that these agrarian people would understand and relate to and resonate with, like planting seeds. These narratives, these parables, as we talked about earlier, come with a twist or a surprise. And it forces the crowd to reconsider the status quo in light of God's kingdom, in light of God's empire, right? Peter Rollins calls parables discourses, dis-courses, because they're meant to throw you off course and disrupt your thinking as they critique the popular wisdom and structures and morals of the day. So finally, 15 minutes into the sermon, I'm pulling a Steve here. <laughs> Let's finally look at our text this morning. Let's dig into, no pun intended, the parable of the sower. So Jesus is sitting in a boat, speaking to the crowds standing on the shore so that everyone can see him and hear him. And he evokes the scene that many in the crowd would resonate with, right? a peasant trying to eke out a living in very inhospitable conditions, right? The ground is thorny and rocky, birds are swirling everywhere, the sun is blistering hot. And you can only imagine that a peasant who is forced to try to plant seeds in terrain like this <clears throat> is also carrying the burdens of rent, of, of tithing and taxes and tolls and supporting and feeding his family and loans and loss of land, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there is hope in our story, is there not? There is hope in the seeds, the few seeds that fall onto good soil and produce fruit. And not only do they bear fruit, but they also 
give the farmer, the sower, seeds to then plant again next year. Hey, everybody, Jesus says, did you hear that? <laughs> it's crazy, like that's all that the crowd hears because then Jesus turns to his disciples and explains to him why he uses parables. And then in the second half of our text, he then explains this parable of the sower to his disciples and his disciples alone. So could you imagine being someone in that crowd? Like you get to the end of the story and you're like, wait, that's it? What a ridiculous story. Oh, Yeshua, I think you got cut off there. Jesus has spent the last nine chapters of Matthew revealing the kingdom of God to the people of Israel through his teachings and through his miracles. And how did the people respond? Sure, some people understood and embraced God's empire, but it seems like more often than not, he was rejected with hostility and unbelief. People saw and heard, but they did not understand. So let's imagine for a moment that you are someone in the crowd on the shore and you have heard unbelievable things about this guy named Jesus and you are so anxious to hear him teach. And then he tells this story of a peasant out sowing his seeds, three-fourths of which yield no fruit. And that's it. What would you take away from this story? After this, Jesus then turns to his disciples and explains to him what explains to them what this parable means. I mean, come on, Jesus, way to make my job really easy this morning. He says, when anyone hears the good news of God's kingdom, that Jesus has come to bring good news to the poor to proclaim release to the captives, recover sight to the blind, let the oppressed go free, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that there are four possible outcomes. The first one, the enemy, Ha-Satan, comes and snatches it right up. Spiritual realms are at play, and that is very real, and we should not forget that. The second possibility is that someone hears the good news and responds with joy and enthusiasm until they realize that God's kingdom and God's empire conflicts with the empires of our world. And that the, the values of God's empire do not align with the values of the empires of our world. And when those two empires collide and conflict with one another, that the empires of the world are not afraid to strike back. So like a seed sown on rocky ground, the faith and discipleship of this person withers up in favor of maintaining the status quo and in fear of rocking the boat or even of imprisonment or death. And the third possible outcome is that someone hears the good news of God's kingdom, but stands no chance in embracing it because of a misplaced focus on materialism 
and an anxiety that that tells them these lies that this anxiety could only be calmed in the accumulation of goods and wealth and power. And yet, just as hoarding property, wealth, and power leads only to aggression and fatality, the seed planted among the thorns is surrounded and choked until there is no more life. Come on, Jesus, this is really depressing. But again, there is hope. Because the fourth possible outcome. It is possible for someone to hear the good news of God's kingdom and embrace it full stop. It is possible for the good news of God's empire to take root in a person. They can fight off Hasetan. They can endure persecution. And they can renounce the lures of materialism and power. And they can bear good fruit. They can testify to the presence of God's kingdom in the world. And they can anticipate and point to the day when God's rule and reign comes to earth in full. So it begs the question then, why did Jesus tell this parable when he did? And why did he only reveal its meaning to his disciples? Jesus is about to launch into six more parables about the kingdom of God, like comparing it to a tiny mustard seed that grows into a giant tree or a treasure that's hidden and buried in a field. And I think that Jesus is preparing the crowd and preparing the disciples for the divisive response that is gonna follow all this. Some people will see and hear and understand, and yet many people won't. And that's the thing about parables is that they can simultaneously reveal to some and conceal to others. But does this mean then that we only get one chance of being the seeds in the good soil? Do we only get one chance to hear and receive the good news of Jesus? And if for whatever reason we blow it off, then that's it? I don't think so. I mean, let's look at the story of Nicodemus and John, right? So Nicodemus is this Pharisee. He's a religious leader. And he's part of the group of people that often rejected Jesus and his gospel. So in John chapter three, he approaches Jesus in the cover of the night and he asks him his questions. He sees Jesus, he hears Jesus's words, and yet he just can't understand what it means to be born again. But then in John chapter 19, Nicodemus helps Joseph of Arimathea bury Jesus's body after he died. And he brings with him a hundred pounds of aloe and myrrh for the burial. Something must have changed. Something must have clicked for Nicodemus. Someone must have replanted that seed. You see, I believe that our God does not half-ass gardening. 
I believe that our God will tend the soil, dig up the rocks and the thorns, shoo away the burden, provide plenty of sun and water so that all the seeds she grows will bear fruit. Yes, the good news of God's empire is divisive. And that does not mean that God gives up on those who are unwilling or unable to receive it. You want to know what's cool about the seed sowing parable is that God takes the seeds produced by the seeds planted in good soil and then uses those to plant again. God takes disciples who have borne fruit and puts them to work, right? Caring for the poor, loving the enemy, turning the other cheek, dining with tax collectors and sinners, dismantling systems of oppression, disrupting the status quo, embracing the good news of Jubilee, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, co-laboring with God in the garden. That is the work of us as disciples of Christ. And while many times this mission of God may seem unrewarding, we have hope. We have hope that God will plant and replant all of her seeds until they all bear fruit. And we can help by kneeling in the dirt and getting our hands dirty. Endings are a place where life is remade. Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.